G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Well, to talk about leaders and not only the why today, but how to get on a track where you can plan to be part of the leadership, perhaps of your local church or in your broader community. Good to be able to welcome back Dr. Brian Harris, who's the principal of the Vose Seminary in Perth. Now, that's just opposite Curtin University in Perth. And uh, Vose Seminary, uh, we've talked to Brian on previous occasions and great to have you back with us. Welcome, Brian. Oh, thanks very much, Neil. Uh, good to be with you. Uh, Brian, let me just uh, remind some of our listeners, uh, you're quite a well-known author and a number of books that you've written, a couple we've talked about, uh, Jekyll and Hyde and another one called The uh, uh, the Quiet Leadership, a book about the tortoise and the hare, uh, those sorts of things. You do like to sort of catch a hold of some of those uh, concepts to communicate deeper things. Yeah, yes. So the tortoise usually wins as a book on quiet leadership, uh, which is something that I feel quite passionate about. It's basically a book about saying not everyone necessarily feels confident about leadership. Some people are are reluctant leaders, but it doesn't mean that they can't make a difference. And yeah, I've been delighted at the reception that the book has had. It seems to have resonated with a number of people and they've found the confidence to go on with their own leadership journey as they've, they've looked at some, sometimes maybe leading in just a slightly different way to, uh, to, to be suitable maybe for their slightly more introverted personality or whatever. And I hope we can talk some more about quiet leadership through the hour, but uh, when we're talking leadership in general across the Christian church, and of course the Christian church is very broad and the opportunities in leadership roles are very broad. Uh, let me just ask you first up, Brian, uh, people sometimes feel as though leaders are born and not made and so therefore they perhaps if they feel as though they're not a made leader they don't do anything to uh, not a born leader they don't do anything to uh, to prepare is this the case that uh, that sometimes we're we're sitting back and leaving it to others when we ought to be stepping up ourselves and doing some preparation for leadership yeah I think that sometimes we get get muddled and uh, yes I agree some some leaders are born some, for some people, leadership just comes absolutely naturally, uh, though even, even leaders who are naturally born still should refine their leadership skills. Uh, however, the vast majority of people need to recognize that leadership involves doing certain things, thinking in a certain kind of way, and that, that kind of thinking and those kinds of behaviors can be trained, they can be shaped, and uh, people can prepare for that. And uh, I, I guess in the end, it's whether you have a heart to make a bit of a difference. If you look at circumstances and think, gosh, I'd, I'd love my life to count, love to actually be able to to help in some way, uh, then in fact people can be prepared for that and can be trained for that. Uh, It's about whether you want to or not. Well, Brian, one of the reasons I like to talk to you about this type of topic is that not only are you the principal of the Vos Seminary there in Perth, but uh, you're also leading the Cary Church there. Uh, So you've got this sort of, you've got this practical hands-on leadership role, and at the same time, you're actually principal of the Bible College or the seminary there. Uh, There is a sense, isn't there, in which you can sometimes be so academic in your preparation for leadership that you miss the practical side. I know that you like to get a balance. Yeah, yeah. 
and, and I think a balance really is important. So there are people who say to me, you know, why would you waste your time in a theological college? And some people even make outrageous statements like, you know, theology will destroy your faith. And I, and I say, no, that's not true at all. Uh, the point is, we actually are all theologians. Whenever we speak about God, well, that's doing theology because uh, theology comes from, from, from the words uh, theos, which is God, and ology, the study of. And so the moment you put forward a view about God, you are speaking as a theologian. You, you, you might not think of yourself in those terms, but you've made a theological statement. Uh, the question is really whether you've made a sound statement, whether it's one that lines up with Scripture or not, uh, whether it's one that's actually going to be helpful. And so, so I think all of us who, who try to faithfully follow Jesus need to think what it is that we're proclaiming and try to do that in a practical way. And, and for myself, being able to be involved at Kerry and uh, you know, being principal here at Vos is just, I mean, it's very stretchy and it's very demanding and takes a lot of time. Uh, but it's, it's a wonderful combination of being able to actually help people to think well at Vos and yet actually seeing what the questions are at the coalface at the Kerry Church. And Kerry's also involved in running a school and we're about to start a second school. And, uh, you know, just all those, those challenges which come forth there are, are very practical ones. And uh, I think help, help me to keep earthed and, and what we do and what we cover here at Vose. Brian, important one as we get into our conversation today, not everyone who goes to study at a Bible college or a theological institution, a seminary, uh, is preparing for a career path along those lines of ministry. Some people do, but when you think about how you might prepare for leadership, this is an important consideration, isn't it? Uh, whether or not I think I might have a career in that direction or whether or not I'm just uh, being prepared with some level of leadership dynamics and skills uh, that's going to help me in my service in my local church. Uh, different people uh, are studying with different motives, but uh, what's the best motive to start off on? Well, um, I, I guess that there are different reasons, reasons that, that people choose to study at a theological college like our own. Uh, so if I were to look at Vos, we have about 200 students studying with us. And of those 200, about a third of them would be able to say, I'm here because God has called me to full-time Christian ministry, and I'm going to be in some kind of paid uh, career, maybe as a pastor, maybe as a chaplain, maybe as a cross-cultural worker, maybe as a missionary, but it's going to be, that's going to be my vocation. And so, so, so that's very roughly a third of our students. Uh, another third of our students come to us and they say, I know that I'm not called to be in paid ministry. This is not going to be my career, and I know that I'm not the person for that. But I deeply love Jesus, and I'm wanting a level of understanding of the faith that is deeper than I can get at the local church Bible study. Uh, I'm wanting to, to dive a little deeper into the, into the faith. I want to know more of its history. I want to know more of the Bible's background. I want to know more of how this intersects with life today. And that's why I'm here. And so, so that's about another third of our students. And then there's, there's that middle third, if you can talk about a middle third, um, who I, I think they, they're there for this most delightful reason, that they, they, they basically say, I sense that God has called me to do more. I have no idea where it's going to lead. It, it could be that it leads into paid ministry. It could be that I'm just a, a better leader at my local church, and, and not in a paid capacity, but just able to help more effectively. Um, but I'm wanting to be open, and I just know that I, I, I need to know more, and I need to be here. And that, that, that would be about a third of our students as well. So, yeah, there, there are a range of reasons that, that people come some, from simply uh, desiring to know more, more than, than could be learned in the local church. Uh, others with a very clear sense of this is my profession, this is my calling, this is going to be the next 50 years of my life, and this is the career I'm going to have. Well, Brian, it begs the question, uh, for the average Christian, and we might argue that uh, there is no such thing as an average Christian right. because uh, we're followers of Jesus Christ, 
uh, he indwells us uh, by his spirit. But there is a sense in if you see yourself as the average Christian, should you in fact make a plan to at some time or other attend a Bible college or take on some formal study courses that give you a fabulous grounding in your faith? Oh, listen, I think that would be a wonderful thing if people are able to do that. I am a realist. I realize that's not going to happen for everyone. But what I would say is if you're serious about following Jesus, uh, think through you know, what plan you've got in place to get to know the Bible better. Do you, do you really understand what the faith is all about? Because uh, sometimes you know, we can be very, very zealous and we can be very enthusiastic. Uh, but if our knowledge base of, of what it is that we're standing up for, we can actually sometimes land up doing more harm than good. And, and you can think of some dramatic uh, historical examples of that. For, 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 for example, uh, I mean, the, the, the very clear one from church history is the Crusades, uh, where ever so many people went with uh, you know, motives which they considered to be wonderful and embarked upon this crusade to convert people to Christianity at the point of the sword. It was absolutely disastrous. For, for, for the church, a, a terrible travesty. Um, but for many, many people, they embarked upon it with good reasons, good motives. And, and I think that's always just this little reminder that sometimes we can be very enthusiastic about something, but unless we've thought it through well, we might not actually achieve the outcomes which, which we'd like. And uh, so I, I would encourage every Christian to make sure that they do actually understand what the faith is, uh, that they do actually understand the Bible, that they read it well, that they uh, know what it is actually saying rather than what it's not saying. And, and to some extent, you do have to dig a little deeper to be able to do that. Um, maybe I could give just even, even one example. I, I, maybe I'm going off on a bit of a red herring here, but uh, let, 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 if, if we were to think of a passage which some, sometimes people find quite troubling uh, in the Bible, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 24, it's about the, the census which David takes. And uh, it's reported both in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and 2 Samuel chapter 24. And uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, it says God moved David to call, cause, uh, to call a census of the people of Israel. And then goes on to say that because David called the census, that judgment comes upon the land and thousands of people lose their, their, their lives. And you, you read that passage and you say, but, but the passage says that God moved David to do this. And then God judges David for having done this. And you, you think, gosh, what's actually going on here? And it becomes even more confusing when you read 1 Chronicles chapter 21 because it, it says that, that Satan rose up against Israel and caused a census to be caused, uh, called. And you say, goodness, one, 2 Samuel 24 says that it was God. 1 Chronicles 21 says it was Satan. <laughs> you know, how, how do you reconcile those two together? You, you, you can't have passages that seem to be more radically opposed. But when you actually dig, dig down into it, you actually realize that, that the Samuel accounts were probably written a fair amount earlier than the Chronicle accounts. And that the worldview that was operating, the way in which people thought about faith and the time when Samuel was being written, was that you attributed everything back to God. Because you basically said that, that God was, was the sovereign over everything in the universe. And therefore, anything that happened, you would say God was the cause of that, because God ultimately is the creator of everything. You move on a little further on in history, and, and the Jews themselves have become a little bit more nuanced in their thinking. They say, yes, it may be true to say that God is ultimately responsible for everything, but uh, that doesn't mean that everything is in accordance with God's will. And you, you, you need to recognize that, to actually differentiate and say that sometimes, even though God sits over everything, that things are happening that God is not in favor of. And so the Chronicles account actually brings that nuance in and makes it clear that this, this wasn't actually God's will, even though, you know, as Samuel says, that ultimately God is, is the author of everything. And so 
you know, be, being able to understand that people were speaking from slightly different views of the world, different understandings of the world, help one to understand what those passages are about just a little bit better. And you realize that evil isn't being attributed back to God, as you might think if you just very quickly and superficially looked at 2 Samuel 24. So rather than just go along the party line with some critics who say that the Bible is full of contradictions, uh, when you go along to have some uh, theological education, you work out what's really being said there and how important those things are. Big issues and how they affect you. 2020 on Vision. It's Neil with you on 2020. Our special guest this hour, Brian Harris. He's the principal of the Vose Seminary in Perth. We're talking about preparing for a level of Christian leadership. And that might mean doing some formal theological study at a Bible college. And uh, Brian, when we talk about doing formal theological study, uh, these days you've got lots of options open to you, haven't you? That's uh, It's not just uh, in the classroom these days, but you can do all sorts of stuff online and stay in your local community to continue your studies. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's been one of the most significant changes in the last couple of, of years, that you know, in the past, when someone was thinking of going for ministry training, it almost always involved giving up your job, uh, maybe moving your location, going and living on campus and doing that for several years and then going out into formal ministry. And, and you'd usually only go to theological college if you were planning to, to go into to be a pastor of a church or a missionary or something like that. Uh, much, much, much more flexible nowadays and a much wider range of people coming. And yes, as you say, very often you can study online or you can study part-time or you can study via short intensives um, and usually there are a range of, of different levels that you can study at. So in my own institution, uh, both seminary, we, we offer qualifications ranging from a certificate four, which is uh, you know, fairly, fairly basic entry level, all the way through to the PhD, which is the highest academic level that you can possibly get. And all of those are available depending on where people are starting from. And Brian, when we talk about changes in the way that uh, theological education is delivered, it's not just uh, uh, where you can study, but the, the, the design of courses, the, the number of different uh, topics and dimensions you can get into is uh, somewhat larger than it ever has been. Yeah, well, I think that that reflects the fact that ministry is often itself becoming much more specialised. Uh, probably 30 years ago, your average local church would have employed one person who would have been the pastor and would have overseen uh, most of the operations of the church assisted by some lay people. And there might have been an administrator in the church office to, to provide some assistance there as well. It's now increasingly common for even relatively small churches to have a couple of pastors on the team, and they, they focus in different areas. So you might have a children's pastor, you might have a worship pastor, you might have a youth pastor, you might have the, the, the overall pastor giving a little, little bit of a direction, you might have someone who's a cross-cultural worker. Uh, you know, all of these are slightly different specia- specializations. And someone who, for example, is going to long-term be uh, involved in ch- children's ministry as a children's pastor, or someone who's going to be in youth ministry as a youth pastor, um, maybe doesn't need to do all the same things in their, their study as, as someone who's going to be uh, the senior pastor of a church. And I think that um, a lot of the qualifications which are coming through nowadays reflect that and reflect that there's a diversity in terms of what people do once they actually leave the theological seminary. 
There's a thought, isn't there, that society is changing and we can identify those changes in society. Uh, There's also this other thought that seems to go along with that, that somehow or other the church doesn't change in the way that it prepares people or doesn't change in response to the changes in society. Where do you see the church at the moment responding to the changes that are happening in society? And, And is this the way that Theological education has to ad- to adapt and be flexible as well. Yeah, I think the church is constantly in, in the, the stage of being reformed. At the, I mean, I think in terms of continuity and discontinuity. So, what doesn't change is that our central message doesn't doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, how we present Jesus and some of the ministries that we get involved in, they certainly change. Uh, but I think that there's also often been a little bit of an ethos change. Uh, people sometimes talk about the shift from uh, behave, believe, belong uh, to belong, believe, behave. And I think by that they mean that historically that the church has been viewed a little bit as a, a kind of a moral center and that it's demanded certain kinds of behaviors of people. And so if you wanted to be part of a church community, well, first of all, you had to sort, sort your life out because if it wasn't going well, then you'd experience the wagging finger and you, 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 you're getting that wrong, you're getting that wrong, you're getting that wrong. So, so we would behave first and then we would believe and then we would, because we believe correctly, because we were behaving correctly and because we were believing correctly, then we could belong to a local church. <laughs> and I think people are saying, no, actually, we, we, we've inverted that, that, that order altogether. You know, come be part of a community, experience community, belong first of all. And as you belong and as you see the faith of that wider community, you'll come to believe that Jesus actually is real and that, that he cares for you and that he loves you. And uh, in time, your behavior will sort itself out. You, you know, so, so don't worry about the behavior first of all. You know, that comes very much tail end. That gets sorted out in due course. And the church's initial stance needs to be one of welcome and embrace. And, and that often isn't what people have experienced in the past. They've often felt that the church has been quite forbidding and not very welcoming. And I think certainly in the ministry training which we provide and, uh, and other players which, which I see uh, provide this as well, uh, the emphasis on, is on, you know, reach out to people, have an open heart towards people, uh, except wherever it is that they're starting from, realizing that where they start from isn't going to be where they finish. And illustrates too why in a Bible college setting you need to be on the cutting edge of change because when you talk about that sort of change, and uh, you know, I can, I can hear what you're saying, uh, uh, where it used to be behave first. Now you're saying behavior it really is a result of belonging first and then believing and then behaving, but it was the opposite way around. When you think about church and Christian leadership, what you're talking about is adapting to a way that society is so that you can get the best outcomes in the end. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, if, if we start by judging people, uh, all you do is you shut people down and you make them very angry and you you stop them having access to the, the incredible love of God. And so you've always got to be remembering that, you know, what we're wanting to do is to help people to open up to, to the God who loves them and, and who cares for them and has a plan for them. Uh, and we're not in the business of shutting people down. We must be in the business of opening people up. Now, Brian, when we're talking about the changes in our society, changes in the way people prepare for Christian leadership, one of the big changes, I guess, that's come over the past couple of decades is going to be the number of women who are involved in levels of Christian ministry that in past times they either weren't able to be involved or weren't allowed to be involved. Those sorts of things are changing too. Well, they are. And changing in two directions. Um, 
So on the one hand, uh, it's much, much more common for women to be in pastoral leadership. And, and obviously, this is an issue of some dispute in, in the Christian community. There are some people who feel that, that women uh, can be pastors. There are some people who feel that they, that they can't, and that's an ongoing debate. But uh, it would simply be a statement of fact to say that there are far more women pastors now than there have ever been before. Uh, but there is a flip side to that. And uh, Historically, women have actually been extraordinarily well represented in leadership in churches um, at a different level in terms of actually keeping the program of the local church going. And that's been because uh, a little further back in history, it was much more common for women uh, to be working from home and to be raising children at home. And so they, they, they would have more discretionary time and they would often help to run the programs of the church. Now that's changed. Uh, and increasingly, uh, you know, you, you have both husband and wife uh, working. Uh, and living having to pay off, the, pay off the mortgage, and churches just generally find it more difficult to get volunteers. So I guess what I'm saying, saying there is that the volunteer workforce of the church historically has been predominantly female, uh, but that's now kind of leveling off a little bit because uh, both men and women are very fully engaged in the workplace. In fact, the, the, the loss of volunteers for the local church is something that, 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 that is a, a very serious issue. It's Neil Johnson with you on this Wednesday edition of 2020. And we are talking about preparing to be a Christian leader, preparing for leadership, whether that's um, levels of formal theological study or learning the ropes when it comes to leadership in church life and uh, in the broader community too. Our special guest is Dr. Brian Harris. He's the principal of Vose Seminary in Perth. That's just opposite Curtin University. Brian, let's talk about uh, the challenges that face uh, these institutions in Australia that are teaching people uh, theology, the Bible, and uh, we mentioned there in the introduction, as many as 15,000 people in Australia are in some level of preparation uh, studying theology or uh, studying for Christian leadership. What are the biggest challenges uh, that most uh, educational facilities, uh, theological colleges are facing? Yeah, well, I guess some of them are, are the challenges that are faced by all educators, and, and education is never a static uh, field where everything just stays in exactly the same place as it's always been. So there are major changes afoot. Uh, let's just take the whole area of flexible learning. Uh, you know, we used to speak in terms of distance learning, and so some students were on campus and others were distance students, and that's usually because they lived a long way from the campus. Uh, now we don't really speak about distance learning because uh, very often students who live very close to, to, to an institution might still be studying in a flexible format. Um, and, and if you take something like what, as say, was previously called distance learning, uh, most commonly institutions would just record or videotape the lecture that took place, uh, package up the notes and mail them off to students. I mean, that just wouldn't be acceptable nowadays, and people would think that that would be a very inferior product, as indeed it would be. Um, and so, uh, you know, an institution that's that's providing flexible learning will very often prepare something for uh, for students who are in face-to-face contact and who, and who come into the campus. But they'd also be preparing something for those students who study in a flexible format, and you'd do that in, in really quite a different way, taking into, into mind the requirements of those students who are learning in that particular form format. Uh, now, one can say that very quickly, but there's a lot of work involved in that because in the past you would just be doing the one format, the one style of presentation. Now, now you're doing that in multiple forms, uh, and it just takes extra time. So, uh, and, and that isn't just for theological educators. That's for educators everywhere, particularly those in higher education. Uh, so there are major changes that, 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 that are afoot. Uh, there isn't major new funding for most of these things. So it's all done in a shoestring budget, uh, and yeah, it does provide a lot of pressure for those involved in that.
Let's talk about uh, funding and uh, reflecting back on the federal budget from just a few weeks ago. Uh, what sort of effects were there from the uh, changes that the federal government was an- announcing about the way that uh, universities would be funded? And I guess that uh, when we talk about theological colleges, you're coming under that same banner too. What sort of changes are afoot there and uh, what sort of effects are there? Well, I know that some of those changes have been spoken of very negatively, but uh, for those of us in theological education, most of us are part of what would be called the private sector and, and higher education. So be, we would be private higher education providers. And actually, the budget contained a huge amount of good news for us uh, in that uh, funding for private providers now looks as though it will will be available. It hasn't been available up until now, uh, which has meant that Bible colleges have had to set fees which would have been higher than the universities would would, 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 would have been. Uh, now, it has been true that uh, those Bible colleges have usually been able to uh, have their students take out these low-interest loans, uh, uh, help loans or, or HEX loans or, or fee help, depending on, on what institution you you, you, you add. But uh, those those loans to students, firstly, there, there was a 25% establishment fee if you were in a private uh, provider. That, 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 that will go away. Uh, and the actual institution itself will now be able to get funding per student who who's in the institution, and that should make it possible for Bible colleges over time to lower their fees. So um, I know there's been a lot of negative report about, about the budget, but uh, from the perspective of private providers, uh, very much a good news budget, and I think that that will really help the market overall. I think that uh, the private sector, when it gets involved in higher education, has always been able to make a really good good uh, contribution and it's not been a level playing field up until now it's not been a level playing field at all and it still won't be a completely level playing field but it will be much more even than it has been in the past and therefore I think that those who are in the private sector will be able to deliver a significantly better product uh, and it will be a much more competitive market uh, all round it will be and I think that students who study at private providers will be able to have, a, have even more confidence than they've had in the past. Let's move on to something that's slightly connected and uh, separate again. But those uh, institutions that are a part of uh, what you might call a a state university, uh, there are opportunities to study theology uh, in uh, some of the great universities around the nation. But as you say, there are private providers who are also providing this theological education. Uh, Who do you think, Brian, should offer theological education? Should it be broadly across the board or... uh, is it good to keep things a little separate? It's, it's a very lively debate, that. Um, I, I believe it should be in both sectors. So I, th- I think it's absolutely appropriate that you should be able to study uh, theology at the local university. Uh, but I also think that it's absolutely appropriate that you should be able to study theology at a private provider. Um, I think that uh, the moment you, you study theology at a university, I think one has to accept that the universities are not faith communities, and therefore they they're fairly dispassionate in terms of what they teach. So uh, I think historically people have spoken about the study of theology has usually been engaged in, uh, as an exercise of, a, to, 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 to quote Anselm from the 11th century, of faith-seeking understanding. So, so people of faith would come and they'd study theology to understand better what their faith is about. Uh, now, the moment you get into university, you can't presuppose that faith is going to be there. And so it can become quite a quite a dispassionate exercise and can be quite a critical exercise. And indeed, in many university faculties around the world, uh, they, they would employ staff who sometimes you know, have a personal faith and uh, very often don't have a personal faith. So uh, you could study theology at a university and being taught theology by an atheist. That's, that's a real possibility. Uh, some people would find 
that, that not to be to their liking. Uh, and they would say, no, we, we, we believe that theology should be about faith, seeking understanding, so we're going to study that within a faith community. And so an institution like my own one at, at Faux Seminary, we are unashamedly Christian, and, and our staff are all committed Christians, and we, we operate from the assumption that God does exist, and we believe very deeply that God does exist, and we believe very deeply that the Bible is true and that this has life and wisdom for us today. Um, so I, th- I think there's room for both. Uh, you, you, you get something different depending on where you study at, though. So, so you're going to get a more critical approach if you study at the local university. Uh, some people might find that quite unsettling. Others would find it embracing. Um, it doesn't mean that Bible colleges don't ask hard questions, and indeed they do. Uh, and there is always this dilemma that people sometimes say, oh, you know, I, I went to, to, to Bible college and I never realized that there were so many questions to ask about the Bible. And uh, if they leave at a fairly early stage, they might leave thinking there are far more questions than there are answers. And, and in a certain sense, that's actually true. But I think that the more you study, the more you realize that the answers that you maybe thought were answers at the start are not necessarily answers. But for all that, your faith is deeper. You, 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 you realize we don't have answers for absolutely everything, but we are not on the wrong track. Um, and I, I sometimes say, say, say to people, you know, when I, uh, you know, I'm in glory one day, uh, I'm quite sure that I will discover that some of the things that I've taught are not actually true. But I would be devastated if I discovered that it was completely wrong. I'm quite sure that we are largely right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even though some individual things might be a little bit wrong and we might have got them muddled at some points. And Brian, if you were taking the purely dispassionate academic approach that you were talking about, that uh, some people would uh, perhaps be enrolled in in some of our university-attached Bible colleges, uh, there is a sense, isn't there, in which you might be studying a historical perspective that obviously uh, goes back to the children of Israel and and, uh, those... Uh, settings in which the New Testament, the Old Testament and the New Testament were written. But there is a sense, isn't there, that when you are passionately involved in Bible study, you're interested in where the dissection of our culture is here in Australia and an appreciation that uh, our nation was, in fact, founded on some very strong Christian characteristics, that those things have shaped our nation. So there is a sense, isn't there, in studying theology from a passionate Christian perspective, you can gain an appreciation of the heritage that we have in Australia and uh, and be able to see how faith intersects our lives. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that the more you know about... Uh you know, the history of Christianity, the more you, you, you see that our legal system has been shaped by it, you see that our culture has been hugely impacted by it. Uh, you know, it's become very popular nowadays to, to, to trash the past, to, to speak ill and to speak about every mistake that the church made, uh, without forgetting that actually by following this trajectory, we probably come across, uh, come, come upon a societal form that, uh, you know, most would think is the most humane that we, we've ever had in the history of the world. And it's been because we've been following a trajectory that has been shaped by the Judeo Christian ethic. Uh, and I, I'm always staggered when people forget that, uh, because it, it's so obviously true. Uh, and our heritage is very, very rich indeed. And I can detect a little bit of a South African accent there, Brian. So when you uh, have come from a different cultural context uh, into our Australian context, and you start to look a little more objectively than perhaps most Aussies do, and seeing those things that have formed our culture here in Australia, uh, you perhaps have uh, a great appreciation of the way that the Bible has helped to influence our culture. 
Yes, well, I, I've lived in South Africa, I've lived in New Zealand, I've lived in Australia, and, and all those countries have been deeply shaped in one form or another uh, by the Christian faith and shaped for the good. Uh, in South Africa, obviously, it took a very, very tragic detour for a number of years in the apartheid era. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that that was a very, very tragic era and, and a lot that went wrong there. Uh, but at the same time, that same Christian ethic helped to, to shape the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and helped to find a, a solution beyond the problems that were birthed then. And uh, yeah, in Australia, one sees, uh, I mean, it's different, obviously, it's a, it's a different context altogether. Uh, but you do see the, the wonderful heritage that, that, ha- that has been laid. 2020 on Vision. It's Neil Johnson with you. You are on 2020 and great to have you along with us as we talk about Christian leaders. Not only why we perhaps need to be preparing in Christian leadership roles, uh, but how we do that. Uh, Brian, uh, Brian Harris is our guest. He's the principal of Vose Seminary in Perth. It's just opposite Curtin University there. Brian, when we have been talking about a whole lot of different topics, uh, being passionate uh, and how that intersects with the intellectual pursuit, the academia of going along and, uh, and studying at Bible College, uh, for some it's uh, an issue of the heart and uh, others an issue of the head. We began to talk about that, but let's enlarge on that a little bit. Uh, the, the, the issues there that, that sometimes a people's faith is actually shaken when they start to get into the deeper issues of theology. Is that the case uh, that you've seen from time to time? It does sometimes happen. I mean, there are questions that, that need to be answered, and sometimes they're, they're very difficult questions. Uh, there aren't easy answers to, to the question of human suffering, for example. Uh, that's a very real question. Um, but having said that, I think my experience is that certainly here at Vos and I imagine at other Bible colleges and theological colleges around the country, that students come in very passionately and they, they leave very passionately. But what, what changes is that, is that they leave thoughtfully passionately, if, if, someone, if I can put it like that. Um, and it's not possible uh, to deeply study God because theology is a study of God. It's not, not possible to deeply study God without being transformed. Um, what I say to students at Vos when, when they come in is I say, you, you'll come in, and, uh, and I guess I can't demonstrate this over the radio because people can't actually see, but I, I have a Bible in my hands, and I, and I say, right, you'll, you, you'll be studying this book, and I say, you'll, you'll be standing over this book, and I, and I show myself kind of looking down at the Bible and say, that, 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 that's where you begin. You, you, you study these different passages, and it's your textbook, as it were. But you'll find that there's this remarkable transformation, and then, then I start to lift the Bible up, and I, and I put it over, over my head, and I say, you, you, you eventually realize that this book that you're studying is actually studying you, and it's asking you questions about your own life, and that's when theology becomes transformative. That we start off thinking, I'm going to get to know the Bible better. I'm going to get on top of this subject. I'm going to know all about the Bible. And actually we realize the Bible knows all about me, and the Bible speaks to me, and the Bible starts to challenge me, and the Bible starts to suggest that there are ways in which I must change my life, that I must think about my neighbor differently, that I must think about my possessions differently. Uh, you know, that's when theology just comes alive, and that's why I love teaching it. A little while ago, you mentioned uh, that for some people, there's a fear involved. It's a little bit scary, actually, getting into some deeper theological study. Uh, When we talk about that sort of fear, is the fear that uh, for some that, well, maybe 
I, I mean, I might be a, a passionate Christian believer now, but if I go along to a theological college, I might discover some questions that can't be answered. Uh, I might discover that uh, that my faith may well be in vain. Uh, do, do those sorts of things uh, scare some people from actually taking the plunge and actually doing something more because they feel like they're comfortable in their faith now? And what if they uncover something that might be too hard to answer? I think that that's a very real fear, and it's not an unjustified fear, because many people have what what I'd call a naive faith. It's it's not a it's not an ugly faith. It's not wrong, but it is naive. It's it's unaware of a whole range of questions that do need to be asked. And I think that what happens when you study theology is that you move from a naive faith to a well-grounded faith. Uh, and strange enough, of course, a well-grounded faith is one that is much less likely to topple over. Uh, sometimes people have a naive faith. They They've just been unaware that there's some questions and they might hear or discover a question that they've been unaware of in a hostile context and it might throw them completely and they might even give away their faith altogether. Whereas if you've been through a Bible college, you'd say, oh yeah, I know that, I'm fully aware of that and, and, and this actually is more of the background because so often when things are presented to us, they're presented in a very, very one-sided way and we, we don't know the background and we don't know the context and we don't realize that there are invariably very, very good answers that can actually be provided. So I, I would acknowledge that that fear is there for many people, but I don't think it's justified. Fear. I think, I think that theological study is is the journey from naive faith to a well-rooted faith. Let's talk too about truth and error. <clears throat> there is a sense, isn't there? <clears throat> Pardon me, that uh, that there is a pursuit of truth when you're attending a Bible college. Uh, there might be those sorts of fears that say. Uh, uh, that maybe the truth I'm being taught in my particular denominational Bible college might have a slant on it, that it somehow or other might be biased. How open do you think in general the theological colleges are to be able to explore all the different uh, aspects of what people believe, perhaps even different worldviews, and then to be able to present a Christian worldview that stands up against those other contenders? Yeah. Um, so obviously some Bible colleges are more um, denominationally aligned and, and sometimes it, you know, it's a requirement of the staff teaching in those colleges that they, that they adhere to that, that line. Other colleges are more open. I mean, personally, I'm at a college that's a little more, I mean, even though we are denominationally aligned, we actually have a very open brief and we would always make sure that uh, students are allowed to, to pursue truth wherever that leads them. Uh, and so if they, they land up maybe taking a different point of view than the one I might have, for example, uh, the thing that I look for is that they can motivate for it well and that they give good reasons for it. And, and I don't try and put everyone into a little straitjacket at all. I, I think that that's to distrust that Jesus is the truth. Uh, so so I'm, I'm always struck by Jesus' incredible statement in, in John 14:6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And, and, and of course, defines the, 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 the nature of truth. The truth is, rela- is relational at the end of the day. Truth is somehow tied up in this person of Jesus. So the truth which we're seeking is not some kind of a, a distant uh, truth. It, it's somehow about relationship with Jesus. But because Jesus ultimately is all the truth, if I really believe that, I'm never afraid to follow the path that leads to truth. Uh, and in fact, if I am anxious about following that path, then I'm fooling myself when I say that I believe that Jesus is the truth. Because if I did believe Jesus is the truth, then I wouldn't be afraid of finding the truth. So uh, I, I think that the best Bible colleges deeply encourage a, a search for truth. 
uh, are respectful of students who maybe come out with slightly different positions and things. I think that 2,000 years of church history certainly shows us that we can think about a number of things in slightly different ways, and we, we don't all have to sing exactly the same tune there. And that's absolutely fine. This is a rich and varied world that God has made, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Brian, is there a particular context that people who study at a theological college come from? Uh, there's a number of things I'm thinking of here. The context of being a part of a local church and knowing that there is a place where the rubber hits the road, where your faith actually has a impact on the broader community around your local church. Do most people make a decision from being a part of a local church to study in Bible college, or are you getting people who are not necessarily very well connected to their local church that are pursuing just a deeper search for truth? Most most people are connected to local church, and mo- most people who study at, at Vos, and I suspect most Bible colleges around the country, are linked to a local church. But most does not mean all. Um, and I would say that over the years, I have noticed an increase in what uh, Alan Jamison has called churchless faith. Uh, and that, I mean, I, I think it's a fairly worrying trend, but more and more people are basically saying, I follow Jesus, but really I don't want to be involved in a church community at all. Uh, now, I think that that flows from a poor theology, actually, to start with. I mean, our God is triune. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. He's the God who somehow is one, even though he's this, this, this three-in-one. So he's a God in community, and, and uh, you because God is somehow this communal God, that's the nature of the church, that you're in relationship with one another because God is in relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, and so when we think that we can be a lonely one-on-one person, well, God is not like that. Uh, God is the relational God. And so I, I think churchless faith is, is, uh, is, is, is very disturbing. But having said that, we certainly do have some students here, and I imagine other Bible colleges do as well, um, that for whatever reason they say, no, I'm not being part of a local church. O- often that comes from having had a bad experience in a local church. And so I would say that, that where that is the case with students, most commonly they, they would speak about, I'm having a little bit of time out. I, I've been hurt. I need to lick my wounds for a while. I need to think things through a little bit more. And then I'll go in in a slightly more informed way back, back, back into the local church in the future. Well, Brian, I suspect there'd be some listening into our conversation who would be interested to perhaps make an inquiry. I guess you're used to dealing with inquiries. Not all inquiries uh, would convert to become students, but sure. the making of an inquiry is an important aspect, isn't it? Because it means you're, you're searching for some more information, you're searching for some direction. And I guess if there is some level of divine discontent that you might have with your own life and you think you might need to uh, make a further inquiry about something that God might be prompting you to do, then the way to do that is to make contact with your local Bible college. And, you know, I guess you're used to dealing with those sorts of things. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And many of your listeners want to contact us, and I'm sure any other Bible college, uh, they'd, they'd be very, yeah, I'm certain they'd be very welcome to contact those. And, of course, your Bible College website, I'll give that uh, detail now, www.vos, that's V-O-S-E, dot W-A, dot E-D-U, dot A-U. Now, great that uh, you're in W-A. A lot of listeners on the East Coast, too, and in the central zones of Australia. And, and of course, there are a lot of Bible College institutions around the nation. And uh, I guess you could probably do a Google search and you could find a whole bunch of good Bible colleges. Uh, that leads another question too. A good Bible college, uh, assessing a good one from a bad one. And are there is are there any bad ones? Uh, there's probably it's probably too deep for our conversation today. But uh, but looking for one, what should you look for in a good Bible college, Brian? 
I think it needs to be accredited by, uh, by the Australian authorities. Uh, so it needs to offer an accredited qualification. If it doesn't, I'd be very cautious. Um, and so if you, and, and if it promises qualifications that sound too good to be true, <laughs> that, 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 that aren't accredited, then it's really not worth studying through them. So you, you can buy PhDs online. You don't want to go there. You really don't <laughs> want to go there. No, no, no one's going to recognize them, and you're not going to get a decent education. Uh, but the, the Australian educational system is actually pretty robust. And if a provider is an accredited provider, uh, there's a high education provider in Australia, uh, or as a self-accrediting institution or as a university or whatever, then the academic standards are going to be monitored and they are going to be rigorous. Uh, not everyone will be thinking of uh, pushing on uh, some study to a PhD level, but uh, but from uh, lower level degrees or certificates, diplomas and, and degrees, uh, all of those sorts of things, uh, different people for different courses and p- people have different areas of commitment too, different levels. Yeah, and, and, and so, you know, if you feel that, that higher education isn't your sphere, I know at first we, we run a, we a registered training organisation as well, and some people might find that, that uh, a vet sector certificate, a certificate for something like that, might be more appropriate for them. And, I mean, we offer that as well, as do many other providers in Australia. And, of course, those, uh, those certificates uh, also prepare people for working in other community uh, sector areas as well, which means you're not just restricted to uh, teaching the Bible in your local church. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, it can be totally worthwhile. Of course, you don't have to do a formal course of study. Many Bible colleges, and, and, and again, you know, we, Vos would be one of them, uh, offer individual one-off training days um, and inspirational days. Uh, we have programs that uh, sometimes just run for a morning that, that people can sign up for. Um, and for many people, that, that, that meets a very real need for them as well. And I guess for a lot of people who are a part of a local church context, this is the sort of thing, isn't it, where uh, a coffee with your pastor and running those sorts of ideas by them might be a good start if you're thinking about doing something more formally because then you've got this sort of accountability within your local church and also that wisdom that has come from your local church leader. That's an important relationship to maintain, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think that... Uh, the the Bible College and the local church need to view themselves as working hand in hand. We we are partners together. Uh, a lot of what people learn in the theological college or the seminary uh, needs to be tested out in the local church. Um, and certainly, our students who fare the best are invariably those students who are performing some ministry in their local church while they study with us. Um, it means that everything that they do is grounded in the reality of the local church. And we started talking about the changes that are happening in theological institutions here in Australia. And, of course, one of those was the idea that people are studying a whole lot more online. So that distance education idea is very relevant. Just very, very quickly, Brian, do you offer the distance education opportunities? Uh, for our certificate four, so so we don't offer that for our degrees, not at this point in time. We actually will be in the next few years, but at this point in time not, but for our certificate four we do. Okay, and uh, that address, www.vose.edu.au. Uh, Brian, it's a pleasure. Thanks for being with us on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.